Professional wrestling is the one true sport. Other sports have their share of intense dramatic moments, but nothing can compare with professional wrestling. Welcome to Wrestling History X, where two friends get together and talk about the story behind the matches. I'm Matt. And I'm Michael. Welcome to episode 14, Starcade 87. Shy town heat, g- glory bound. Right? The glory bound's part of it. I kind of want the, like, siren. Wah, 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 wah. Yeah. It's so fun to do that. I did it poorly, but though, yeah. We need a, like, the soundboard. Just from my phone, so it sounds really bad. But wah, wah, wah. <laughs> So whenever we feel uh, extra obnoxious. We're always feeling extra <laughs> obnoxious, though. That's pretty true. So Starcade 87, the fifth annual Starcade event produced by Jim Crockett Productions on November 26th, 1987. Does that date sound familiar to anyone? Uh, it's a day for giving... What, what's that? Thanks. Thanks? Yes, thanks. It's good. For giving thanks. But it was also something else. But we'll come to that here in a minute. Um, okay, okay. Uh, the event was held at the UIC Pavilion in Chicago, Illinois, which is like the farthest north Jim Crockett Productions at this point has held a show. The event would also feature wrestlers from the UWF, which had just been purchased pretty shortly before the event by Jim Crockett is Productions. Is the UWF like a more northern thing? No. It's no really? The Oklahoma, oh. Texas... Area. Okay, so they're not like there's the, like, the what, old mid south, the old Bill yeah. Watts, so they're not like mid-south. they're not like uh, doing in like they're not bringing like Chicago. They're not bringing the Chi Town Heat. No, <laughs> like they have some guys that are from like the old AWA. So they ran Chicago back in the day. Like the Road Warriors are on the show, and the yeah. Chicago's their hometown. Oh, but, I remember that pop. But literally, like it makes no sense for the show to be in Chicago, other than JCP is trying to become a national. Brand. Yeah, and Chicago's uh, traditionally a, a big a wrestling really, town. Really I imagine it was a big town. wrestling town back then too. Yeah. But I know, I know today it's like one of the one of like the spots. Yeah. So Starcade '87 drew an attendance of eight thousand people. Is that that sounds kind of low? That does sound pretty low. For yeah, I mean, I don't know how big the UIC Pavilion is. It's probably bigger than eight thousand people. Probably. Uh, and this was the first NWA event to actually be broadcast on pay-per-view. A true pay-per-view? True pay-per-view, not yeah. just closed circuit. And it drew a 3.3 rate. Which, but it was, I guess it was also like had a, about 100 closed circuit. Uh, it did have some closed circuit yeah. stuff. But part of the reason for such the small buy on the pay-per-view... Because it wasn't that available. ...was due to WWF. And the reason why I said November 26, 1987 might sound familiar, because we covered a show last week. Survivor Series. That was on the exact same day. Yeah. And WWF demanded pay-per-view companies to only provide Survivor Series if they wanted to be able to broadcast WrestleMania 4. I mean, yeah, that's fucking some shitty, some shitty ballsy stuff. Also, okay, this is Survivor Series within Ohio. What was the, What do you think the attendance for the same day at Survivor Series was? Do you remember? I got it, it was here. Probably thirteen, fourteen thousand. Oh no, it's twenty one. Twenty one. <laughs> wow. Yeah. And same day. 
That's crazy. That That's is more crazy. than twice. I mean, you know, it's probably, you know, adjusted for <laughs> inflation. It's WWE numbers. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But wrestling numbers. So Survivor Series drew a 7.0 because so many Yeah, it was kind it was so many companies yeah. went ahead and covered, you know. Just, just kind of a shame cuz I feel like on this show Spoiler alert, Starcade starts to step up, or like NWA starts to step up their game production wise. I'm gonna go ahead and spoiler alert it. No. I like Starcade better than Survivor Series. Yeah, I did too. <laughs> like, a, I thought you were gonna, an, I thought you were gonna say something crazy. Show. Oh, yeah, no, I agree. But also, just so we're in the frame of mind of November 26, 1987. Oh, tell me what happened, Matt. So, a few days before, in Chicago, a pair of television stations would be hijacked by an unknown pirate dressed as Max Headroom. I wrote, this is the uh, such a fun thing. I've watched a lot of YouTube videos about this, uh, and it rules. The guy has never been caught. No. It's like some, some true early hacker shit. It's yeah. like, makes me think of like Videodrome, except for like, minus all the like porno stuff. I want to say it was like nine seconds on WGN, which is the big superstation that yeah, everyone yeah. knows and then like 30 seconds on a substation like a do- PBS yeah. type of deal yeah, like a more of a public access yeah but uh Max Headroom is one of those things where I know what Max Headroom looks like I think I've watched the Max Headroom pilot and maybe a couple episodes a bunch of times but I never sat down and did it it's one of those things where it's like if I can get over the hump or like commit myself on paper it could be my favorite thing I just haven't done it yet but I know that <laughs> Like, the chances of me loving it are high. Slim to high. But yeah, probably about as high as I was when I tried to watch it the first couple times. And if I do it uh, in the state that I live these days, it'd probably be a lot easier to take in. I mean, it's no hard ticket to Hawaii. <laughs> Nothing is. It's true. And also, the first Final Fantasy video game would be released just a few weeks later. Uh, have you ever played a Final Fantasy game? I have never played a Final Fantasy I've game. I've played... I am not an RPG guy. Yeah, I played 7, because I kind of had to, because I had friends that had a PlayStation, and it was one of those things. And I remember liking it, and then I think my friend gave me 9 years ago for like a like secret Santa gift, but I didn't play it. I think the closest thing I ever played rpg wise was zelda hearts oh kingdom hearts that's not turn-based is it it's more action like zelda that was the video game minute i'm not a big video game guy i like them in theory yeah i'm no 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 hate i just like i just never think to play a video game it's not the first thing that i go for no so we're watching wrestling (laughs) exactly we're watching lots of wrestling so we're off to the show and we get Tony Giovanni and Jim Ross. And what does Jim Ross look like to you? Like a fat little boy. Well, I mean, yeah, but he looks like he looks like the chubby uh, chipmunk from Alvin and the Chipmunks. Is that Simon? Theodore. Theodore. Is it? Yeah, Theodore. Of course, his name's Theodore because Theodore sounds thick. It's a thick <laughs> but, yeah, but you feel like he's got like Jim Ross's like got he's got the buck teeth kind of, and it's weird because I've never really noticed that before. But maybe it's just I don't know. Well, he had his stroke like midway through. Well, the yeah, I remember when that happened because that's what that's like when I was like peak watching wrestling as and a kid. And so, like, his voice is the same, but a little well, bit. Well, I mean, different. He's, it's less, but he's yeah, he like, yeah. I mean, you can tell it's him, but like even before then, he's still you know he's, he's an older man, yeah. and there was more of a, like I feel like his draw got even pre 
pre that that whole deal. I feel like his draw was different. I feel like he speaks more clearly, but he's also, you know, he's a young buck. I don't know how old he was doing these shows, but he looks like a baby. Yeah, yeah. A big, fat baby. And we're headed off to our first match of the night. We yeah, straight to the straight to the matches. Straight to the matches. There's not really much of no. This is a, welcome at all. This is a lean show. Like, there's not a whole lot of. They're just like, let's do it. Yeah, let's it's get, good. Let's get into it. So the first match: Sting, gorgeous Jimmy Garvin, and Michael P.S. Hayes with Precious versus Eddie Gilbert, Rick Steiner, and Larry Zabisco. The Pizza Man, Larry Zabisco. <laughs> He looks like he owns a pizza joint. <laughs> he looks like he owns a pizza joint. Okay. That's all I got. Uh, with Baby Doll in his in their corner in a six-man tag match. So this is our first time to see Larry Zabisco. And yeah. he is a is WWE our... Hall of Famer. It's also our first Sting match. Yeah, I was going to say his first Sting match, right? And he's a professional wrestling TNA WWE and Wrestling Observer <sighs> Newsletter Hall of Famer. TNA has a Hall of Fame. TNA does have a Hall of Fame. Sick. I think Kurt Angle and Bubba Ray may be the only two, like, dual... Did you ever see that? Oh, Hall of Famers that, in the two? Oh, that, that crazy, like... It's basically like a cannonball off of... It's... Well, not Kurt Angle was high out of his mind, but it's a TNA spot, and it's kind of terrifying and reckless, but also kind of amazing. I'll look it up later so you can see it. Hot take: Kurt Angle was better in TNA than he ever was in WWE. Uh, I've I've heard that he was probably high out of his mind and like so he's like eh, whatever. But I've never watched uh, much TNA. A couple matches, but well, in about ten years. We'll we'll, get to we'll, it. we'll order the uh, the like Kurt Angle TNA DVD off of. Well, no, we'll just download it off the internet. I don't got forty bucks for a DVD. So there's a story actually behind this match. Uh, most of these guys were part of the UWF. And so when JCP bought UWF, brought over a bunch of the guys, a lot of them didn't get much of a push once they got brought over. But Sting was that boy. Sting was one of them, though. Uh, But the story behind the match was that Sting was actually part of Eddie Gilbert's faction in the UWF. Yeah, Eddie Gilbert's like his mentor. And Sting was having a match with Terry Taylor, who we'll see later on in the, the show, and Gilbert would come down and interfere in the match, costing Sting, and then him and Taylor would gang up on Sting. Another one of the faces in UWF came out, and it completed the face turn for Sting. Because Sting was basically, at the time, it was him and the person who would become known as Ultimate Warrior were basically the henchmen. Oh, what's the Ultimate Warrior's real name? He has a crazy real name. I always forget it. It's weird. He's the ultimate fucking warrior. Yeah. He's a big jerk. We all know I mean, he was like, they were like Flash and something or else back in in the UWF. Flash and Bang. Or something like that. (laughs) Yeah. The Neon Warriors. But as the match match starts, we get flashing lights, smoke. A lot of pinks and blues. Yeah. A lot of smoke. Bad Street USA. The only original, the only song that's not like piped in. Like later yeah, by the network, everything seems like on this show. Pretty yeah, much. so I was like, we don't know what they actually come out to, but that song, that song, they they own that one. That it accompanies our faces to the ring. Eddie Gilbert is announced to be from Every Girl's Dream. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, this is our still our first Rick Steiner too. No, we saw Rick Steiner okay. uh, a couple shows ago. 
uh, Rick Steiner comes with a jacket that says Gremlin on it, but they don't ever say he's the Gremlin, and I'm like, that fucking rules. That's all I got. But I was like, yeah, why does it say Gremlin on it? They haven't started calling him the dog face Gremlin yet. Oh, that's, a, that's what happens I later? I don't think oh, yeah. he's had his... He hasn't had his accident yet. Because uh, he has an accident. So they like, just are like, well, he was the Gremlin, but... Oh, okay. All right. Uh, Larry Zbysko actually looks pretty young in this. Yeah, I mean, he's yeah. He's not. Yeah. But he... I mean, compared to what I'm used to seeing, because I've never seen him... As a young man, I've only seen him as a WCW announcer back in the late 90s. Yeah. I'm like, he looks super young. And this is only, like, 12 years before then, so it's like... <laughs> yeah, did some aging. Uh, yeah, I just love... He's got a he's got a, a big pizza man look to me. <laughs> to counter Eddie Gilbert's being from every, every girl's dream, Sting's announced to be from every man's nightmare. <laughs> but is Sting more handsome? I would say so. Yeah, he's got that like super cute like mullet mohawk combo. It's announced that there is a 15 minute time limit. Time limits are big in the show. Time limits are huge in <sighs> They count that like it's like do they even need a ref because they they every 5 minutes they go over like yeah, the ref they go like, over the house the house speakers like, and, or the announcer announces yeah. over the yeah. loudspeaker. This time much time has passed. It's <laughs> yeah. just like all right. All right, cool. I mean, they do that. Keep everybody they, on task. They do Keep that in New Japan, task. but it like it's, never. It's not like, as loud. But I also feel like that it's not. I don't know. I feel like they're just like keeping these guys on task, or like whoever's like you know running the match. There's a guy in there that like you know a couple guys in there that like were kind of leading the match. Whoever yeah. they are, so like you know, so everybody hits their their cues and stuff. But I agree. So it was to, interesting to see. To begin with, Steiner attacks Sting from behind as everyone is still getting out of the ring. And Steiner goes for a Steiner line, but Sting sidesteps it. Say that three times fast. Sidesteps it. Sting sidesteps the Steiner line. <laughs> Sidestep the Steiner line. And he ends up tripping Rick to send him through the ropes to the floor. Sting then does a suicide dive, which we only see Steiner taking it and not the actual dive. Yeah, there's, camera, a, little, there's a little work, bit of wonky work. Camera work's not the best in this show. Yeah. Uh, back in the ring, Sting does a top rope missile drop kick to Steiner, who which brings everyone into the ring to brawl. Solid debut for Stinger. I I agree. A suicide dive and then a top rope missile drop yeah, kick. Yeah, he, comes, he like, comes in hot. I was like, yes, yeah. sir. Uh, we get triple Irish whips by the good guys, and all that send all the bad guys bumping into each other in the middle of the ring. Is this uh, pre or post moonwalk? Moonwalk has not happened. Okay, yet. I'm sorry. I, I promised I got that. Okay, note. I just. Like, we can't, we can't be missed. Uh, we do, while this match is going on, I see a contraption set around the ring. So I guess there's another Skywalker match? Oh, yeah. I wasn't, they didn't, I wasn't ready for that, they, too. And I noticed they, it while I was watching this match. Yeah. Hayes does some strutting and some moonwalking now. Sorry. Sorry for spoiling. It's okay. It was great. No he one's did it. mad he, at you. He looks good. He looks, Hayes, Hayes, Hayes looks, Hayes looks Hayes good. Hayes looks pretty good yeah. doing the moonwalk. He, do you think he pulls off the, like, I have dark hair, a dark mustache, but, like, bleached hair on the top better than anybody else? Because I think he pulls it off real I well. So. I think he looks pretty great. Uh, Garvin then gets a sunset flip pin attempt on Steiner and Gilbert with an atomic drop on Garvin, which sends, which starts the heels working over gorgeous Jimmy. I see Precious holding something. Me too. I have it. It looks like a burrito. Maybe That's it's exactly like what I wrote, <laughs> That's how you wrote too. That's awesome. I was, I was like, like, I was like Precious has a burrito? Question mark. Is she yeah. hungry? Yeah. I was like, 
I literally paused and was like, I tried to find it too. Hey, wife. Yeah. Watch this. Yeah. And tell me what you. See. I was like, afterwards, I was like, maybe it's a clutch, you know, like which that's, is like a person with no like a tiny. Was, yeah. But it literally looked like a burrito. Yeah. That'd so, be really cool if she like handed a burrito off to him and then like some. Magic, that's the foreign object. Yeah, yeah, the foreign object is the burrito. And <laughs> just burrito and bean just goes yeah. everywhere. That sounds disgusting. Yeah, it'd be really gross. So Garvin makes the tag to Sting, who starts cleaning house until a Zabisco irate. And then Gilbert tosses Sting over the top rope to the concrete floor, but the ref is distracted by Steiner on the other side of the ring. And back in NWA, this would have been a disqualification for sending someone over the top rope. Oh, yeah, I always forget that. It's a weird rule. It was that way until, like, 1995. Really? Yeah, so... In, like even just, NWO wait, days, early for, NWO for, days, it was still like even game. for like it just like tag matches or singles matches. Every match. So if you get like clotheslined over the top, that's matches supposedly over. That's what it was supposed to be. I feel like, but they skip that a lot though. Oh, unless it's only they, only when it's convenient. Yeah. Okay. Completely. Only when like the ref does it. So it's like like red shoes style where it's they're, like they're if like, red shoes allows it, it's okay because he's the best ref ever. They're like, oh, we need a disqualification so this few can continue. Okay, let's do it, and the ref will see it. That's frustrating, and I don't like it. Sting reverses a Zabisco suplex attempt into a suplex of his own, and we're at three minutes left in the match. Oh wow! Yeah, I've I cut this match down. <laughs> you you cut it down? Okay, well I'm gonna say one thing. At one point. JR says, because these guys are not the most fun in commentators. They're not, like, they're good, but they're not fun like no. Jesse fun no. or Gorilla fun. It, but there's no, there's still no, it, it's the same complaint no that color. you had. Yeah, from a there's few no weeks color. Ago. There's no color. It's all yeah, play it's play. all, it's gritty. It's NWA. But JR says that uh, Rick Steiner has a back so broad you can show a movie on it. And it's kind of great. That's great. Because I think it's a spot where he's got. He's got somebody in like an ab stretch or something like that. So there's like a big shot of his back or whatever. I don't know. So it was it's good. Jr. Jr. Ha, has some good lines yeah, in the next yeah. couple weeks. It's probably about the best part about these shows. Oh, I don't. I disagree. Steiner locks on a sleeper on Sting, but escapes by sending Rick into a turnbuckle, and then Sting reverses an Irish whip by Zabisco, and it sends Larry face first into a turnbuckle. Now there's two minutes remaining. Yeah, and the, the, the commentary table is selling it. What's the game plan? Sting makes the hot tag to Hayes, who starts laying out everyone. Everybody's in the ring brawling, and as JR would say, it's breaking down in Chi-Town. <laughs> Which is so good. Hayes then hits the running bulldog on Zabisco and goes for the pin, but Larry's leg is on the ropes. Hayes then puts the sleeper on Zabisco when Gilbert comes off the top rope with an axe handle to break the hold. And we have one minute remaining. Bum, bum, Steiner with the belly-to-belly -belly suplex on Hayes in the pin attempt. A two count. 30 seconds. Hayes with a small package. That's what she said. Two count. The ring announcers counting down the last 10 seconds. So Hayes with a sunset flip pin on Gilbert. The ref counts. One. Two bell rings because we have a time <laughs> limit draw. I love it. But post match, we did get a stinger splash on Steiner. Oh, yeah. I don't remember. I like this. Out of any time limit draw we have ever seen, this one was the best one. Yeah, it was well telegraphed. I'm. Starcade is getting enough. Like they're, I'm, I, I, this is, a, this is a, a much more well telegraphed show. 
There's I'm, no confusion. I'm not going to tell you overall thoughts. I am not trying to hold, trying to hold back. We will get to it later. We will. So we get JR and Shivani sending it to Missy Hyatt in the back. Uh, preview some of the matches before sending it back to JR and Tony. Quick question. How many times do you see Missy Hyatt through the show? This is the only time we've <laughs> seen Missy Hyatt in this show. And I was, show. It, was, it was very bizarre. And the, well, the, like, the, I didn't even realize it until, like, afterwards I was, like, reading yeah. my notes. I'm like... Well, the whole set, like, she's, only? like, standing next to this, like, really cool, like, you know, obviously, like, wall they built up that has uh, a cool, like, the NWA logo. NWA and it logo. looks it looks kind of awesome. Honestly, it kind of looks similar. It looks kind of looks like a, like, italic version of the NWA, like, rap group logo, <laughs> which is kind of nice. awesome. The I was like, oh, that's a cool logo. And I was like, oh, cool. Like, Missy High is going to do interviews, like, right here. That's neat. And then it never happened again. <laughs> There's really no interviews <laughs> yeah. in the back. It's all right, because how many titles are on the line? Uh, like five? Five titles on the line. Uh, so then we go right to the second match, and we got Barry Windham versus Dr. Death Steve Williams. And how H-A-R-D is J-R versus Dr. Death Steve Williams. Well, I was laughing Well, the thing is, is that Steve Williams and Jim Ross are probably actually pretty good friends. Like Steve Williams probably has sex with his wife. I don't know about that. I mean, like, I, that's not nice to say. But, like, they're both OU guys. Yeah, yeah, they're OU. I mean, he wears the OU jacket. Yeah. Or not the jacket, the, the jersey, jersey and everything. He, he's, he's got it on his trunks. Yeah, it's like, yeah. But we all know, like... like and Jim Ross is a huge yeah. OU guy. So. Yeah. But this match is but for he, the UWF Heavyweight Championship. I know. Well, they're not, they didn't unify these titles. No, they're not unifying these. <laughs> Though, spoiler alert, this title disappears in just a few months. Oh, I believe that. So the two men handshake before the bell as the two men are good friends outside the ring, that meaning Wyndham and yeah, Williams. Yeah. But we start off press slam by Williams, and after some grappling, they end up rolling to the outside. And instead of brawling, they seem to agree to get back in the ring and to determine it there. A gut-rich suplex by Wyndham, and then Dr. Death goes to leapfrog Wyndham. LOL. <laughs> But Wyndham being 6'6". Six, six, and Dr. Death being like a squatty, thick man. He was a defensive tackle he's, in Yeah, he's, a, he's, not, he's not fat, but he is fit and he is wide. Let's just say he doesn't have enough ups to get over 6'6". Six, six, no. And ends up run, Wyndham ends up running straight into Williams with he, his head. Yeah. Hitting Williams in the crotch. Yeah, he gets a JYD to the J-U-N-K. <laughs> Williams literally just holds his junk for the next like three minutes of to the point match. where it's a little annoying. It's like, it's like all right, we guys. get it, dude. It hurt. Uh, Wyndham goes for a flying crossbody. I mean, once once Williams gets back up, they're, yeah, they're yeah, he takes his time because they kind of play up the whole like friends, friends thing where thing, they're like, yeah. yeah, it's like, oh, we're trying to be fair. W- Wyndham Wyndham is getting booed because he's not taking advantage. Yeah, of yeah. It. So he's like playing up his fighting spirit, baby. Exactly. But once they get back going, Wyndham goes for a flying crossbody off the ropes, but Williams has dropped to the mat, so Barry goes flying through the ropes to the floor. Now, Williams doesn't ever go out to the outside to attack Wyndham. He waits for him to get back into the ring, but as soon as he does, Williams grabs him for an Oklahoma roll and gets the pin and the win. (laughs) And basically everyone was like, like the announcers were like, Oh, Wyndham didn't take advantage, but Williams kind of did. Yeah. 
Also, like, JR just, like, says a lot of OU stuff. I guess OU was probably really good at the time. But, like, he makes a lot of... He gets all his references in. He is, like I said, H-A-R-D. 87? You'd know better than me, for sure. Actually, I think they were going to play for the national championship that year. Yeah, I think think he actually drops that. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. But we head off to our third match. Like I said, show just rolling along today. Yeah, it's quick. Maybe it's on the express train. Which, what kind of express train? Could be Midnight or Rock and Roll, because they're both in the next match. How many times did these guys fight each other? Every time they fought? A lot. Every time they either met a This was the, one I mean, of they the were... biggest rivalries yeah. in the South also, in the 80s. Also, like, two fucking amazing tag teams. Exactly. So you got the Midnight Express of Bobby Eaton and Stan Lane with Jim Cornette and Big Bubba Rogers uh, in the corner. Bobby and, what is it? Shit, what stands? Uh, sweet Stan. Sweet, sweet Stan. Uh, versus Rock and Roll Express of Ricky Morton and Robert Gibson in a Skywalker's scaffold match. Uh, how do you feel about the Skywalker scaffold match? It's a waste of my time. Uh, it is. I will say that when every match is not a, a jackass gimmick match, I don't mind it so much. I, which I is a plus with, I will agree to with this that. show. But it was still. A waste of my time. I think it was a waste of these two tag teams. Yes. These two tag teams could have a great match yes. in the ring. And to do this is just... Give them the time limit draw. Yeah. It no makes, more, it makes yeah. more sense for them to have Yeah. It. But, I mean, you know, they were they were hot in the Skywalker matches. A spectacle. Um, also, you have, you know, Cornette and, like, Big Bubba. So, it just kind of adds to, you know... Exactly. The whole thing. So, obviously... If you've been listening to us, the rules for the match are the first team to have both members crash down to the mat below are the losers. Yeah, it's, I mean, we've talked about it. It's two stairs basically up to like a catwalk made out of like a ladder, like two ladders next to each other. It looks terrifying and not safe. I mean, this one does look a little bit sturdier and not as high. It looks more narrow to me though. Like it looks like the standing area is more narrow. But maybe it might not. Have possibly, but maybe it did, it's because it the, quali- look, the quality of the sturdier. like this show. The quality of this show is better as far as like equipment and stuff. So the show looks nicer. The, yeah. You know. Uh, my it's first clearer. question: I really wondered if Jim Cornette was having nightmares <laughs> with this match. He wasn't going he, back up there. He broke his leg. Why do you think? Why? Year. Yeah, and like I think there he there's a sustained uh, like I don't think he took very many bumps after that match because it he, really li- fucked. he still has the leg injury. From yeah, that and match. like fucked up his like. Uh, like his knee tailbone i thought it also fucked up his like lower back it might have, it might have. either way the man got hurt um, uh, but the match is also a non-title match because midnight express were the tag team cha- the u.s tag team yeah. champions at the time there's two refs and i noticed that they both had different style shirts on one like actually had a normal like ref shirt on and then the other one had like a just like a a white shirt on i was just like you work for the same company. Shouldn't he, didn't have, the same... he didn't have he didn't have black stripe money. Guess not. So both teams start climbing up to the top, but Bubba grabs Morton and Bubba slams him in the ring. So the Midnight Express are double teaming Gibson up top. Bubba then starts climbing up when Morton grabs Cornette's tennis racket and starts beating on his back. Morton then climbs up to the top with the racket and starts laying it to Lane and Eaton. Uh, Gibson swings at Eaton, but Bobby ducks, and Robert ends up spinning himself around 
and I literally thought he was going to fall off from the force of the spin. Yeah. That he, because he literally had to like purposely fall to the scaffold. Is that the most like, like oh shit moment in the match? I think so. <laughs> Which is kind of upsetting, because it should be an oh shit the whole time. But I mean, I don't want these guys to hurt themselves. But uh, somehow Gibson gets busted open, probably just from ramming his head against the scaffold. Oh, you think he got it the hard way? Kayfabe. <laughs> And then uh, Rock and Roll has eaten on the edge when Bobby pulls some powder out and throws it into both of the Rock and Roll Express's eyes. Is it, what is it, regular powder or uh, party powder? Are you meaning cocaine? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, they wouldn't have wasted that. <laughs> no, they're not going to waste the cocaine. <laughs> like, that stuff just ends up on the floor? Yeah, yeah. Midnight Express are double-teaming Gibson when he ducks so that Eaton hits Lane. And then Morton hits... Eaten on top of the head with the racket, and Bobby waddles away right into a Gibson right hand. Uh, Eaton has stolen the racket now and starts laying into Morton, and then Eaton walks over to Gibson, but Robert has taken one of the guardrails from the end. Yeah, that was weird. And starts hitting Eaton with it, knocking the racket to the ground. But it looks like it's like connected. It still is. Okay, because it looks like an erector set, but yeah. you didn't like screw in the other side. So it's just like, as you can see, I'm holding my elbow. Like it's thing, and just it kind of looks like a like it was about it was going down to warn you of the train. But it's just like he's like, yeah, <laughs> it's like still connected with the screw. It's very bizarre. Yeah, it was very. Uh, Lane starts climbing down one of the scaffolding, and Gibson starts stomping at his hands. Cornette tosses the racket back up to Eaton, who lays into Gibson with it. First time catch, I think, too. Yeah, it was, it was kind of impressive. Yeah. Uh, Morton starts climbing down to fight with Lane underneath the scaffold. And Gibson has stolen the racket back and has hidden Eaton with it. As you can tell, there was a lot of hitting each other with the racket. This might as well have been a racket match. Might as well have been. Lane tries to monkey bar across, but Morton kicks him, and he falls to the mat. Uh, does he kick him? No. He does not kick him. He just drops. Trying to stay in cave. Uh, we're not doing that. <laughs> Eaton is struggling to hang on underneath the scaffold and has Morton kicking him and Gibson hitting him with the racket when he falls to the mat. So Rock and Roll Express are your winners. What a what a match. How long did this match go? Do you I know? I don't know. I didn't write down the time either. I don't know. Too long? Too long. I mean, like, I don't know. It started off, like, with the Bubba stuff. I was like, oh, well, this is a different take to it. Because I was like, maybe maybe Bubba's going to lay out uh, Morton at the beginning. He's going to climb up. They're going to triple team Gibson, have throw him off. And then Morton's going to somehow, like, come back and, and... win a double team or something like that. Yeah. I thought that would have been an interesting idea. You know, but like literally both the Skywalker scaffold matches that we've seen, the losing team or the winning team has had both people up on top. Yeah. Like there's like no, why 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 not do it like a two or three falls type thing? It's like you nobody's going to get all three of, falls. You knock one of them off. Yeah. And then the you, other guy like, falls off and then, then you, one of the faces falls off. Like, yeah, and then yeah, and then somebody and, throws a gimmick up there and it's a battle of the gimmick on, yeah, on top exactly. of the gimmick. I mean, but I think my sense. favorite part of the match is I think it's Ricky Morton afterwards. Uh, he puts on Big Bubba's like uh, hat and like he puts on like a cowboy hat and like jacket and it rules. The best part is before that. Oh, what happens before so that? So post match, Cornette sends Bubba to the top and he grabs the racket. And Morton is climbing down, and Bubba decides that he doesn't need the racket. So Gibson and Bubba are up on the top. Yeah. And Gibson goes, he uses the old, hey, what's that? (laughs) I did not catch this, I don't think. Bubba looks away, 
and Robert punches him in the dick. <laughs> did I? How did I miss that? And then he just, and then he just like scurries down the, <laughs> scurries down the ladder to the uh, ring. That's great. That's good so comedy. Bubba's still up there with his dick punched in, and that's when he goes down and he puts the hat in the. Uh, I might have to skip to that because, like, maybe I caught that, but. I, I feel like I would have made a note of that because I like that. I like the spot where he like has these like he's like gloating on the apron and he's got like the hat and the jacket on and it's 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 good. It's good. Yeah. Well, Rock and Roll Express leave and Bubba's still up top and Cornette's like it shows like a wide shot and Cornette's just having a temper tantrum in yeah. the ring. You know, this is the best thing he does. Exactly. He still does it today. This <laughs> and he means it. He does. Uh. So we head back to Tony and Jr. who review a bit of the action we've seen so far and then send it to Bob Cottle who's in the back with gorgeous Jimmy Garvin, Precious, and Michael Hayes. And Jimmy Garvin starts cutting a promo. Basically, he's excited to be part of Starcade. Uh, him and Hayes want a challenge for the tag team titles. And then he goes on a long, extended thing where he basically goes through all the matches that are about to hold happen. The, hold on, okay. I want you to play this under... No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> under a song. No, I think that we, we shouldn't play a song at the end of the show. I think you should just tack on this promo because I have like seven lines of like handwritten notes of me just saying fucking talks forever. I wrote five ever instead of four ever. <laughs> Holy fuck. Longest promo ever. LOL. Jesus, it's still going. I don't know what to say. Can we play this uh, for the outro? <laughs> Finally shuts up. Fuck. <laughs> like, all in caps. It's amazing. He says nothing and everything at the same time. That's, that's exactly. He says <laughs> nothing and everything at the same time. It was it's like, like, I couldn't believe that he just kept talking. I was like, oh my god. Holy crap. And I was thinking, like, he must be, like, fucking hella high. He must be feeling pretty good. Because he just goes. Was yours? I'm sure you've got some funny stuff to the say. The promo is on YouTube. Oh, is it? So I can put it at the end. Okay, cool. it's three minutes long, guys. It's so silly, but it's it's really bad. It's fun to watch, but I seriously was like watching it and I was like, all right, cool. Is he gonna say anything that I should take a note on? And then he just keeps talking, and I just took notes on how long he keeps talking. Well, I like was listening. I was listening to him, and I'm just like. He's literally just going through every match that's going to happen tonight. Yeah, and he's just like bigging up his buds and, you know, he's saying like, he's going to keep fighting. He's not saying anything. No, not at all. But he's saying things. Yeah, he got he got a, a, a hand of that Skywalker powder. I guess so. <laughs> but then after they leave, uh, Bob Cottle brings in Steve Williams. And Steve uh, basically says, Wyndham had his chance, but he didn't get it done. And I am the wrestling machine of the world. Yeah, 110 to 100. Wait, he says 110 to 210 percent. It's a bad promo. Steve Williams is scary looking. He's wearing an OU jersey, but it's a bad promo. And then we head back to Tony and Jr. where they preview the next match. And if you noticed, they've taken the scaffolding down from around the ringside. Maybe that's why Jimmy Garvin <laughs> got went, so went for like four, or as you say. Five ever. Five ever, yeah. And we're headed off to the fourth match. Terry Taylor with Eddie Gilbert and his Warner. Uh, versus hot stuff, Eddie Gilbert. Nikita Koloff in a unification match for the NWA and UWF television championships. It's a cool idea. It, I mean, it makes sense. Like too many belts yeah, in a in a, yeah. in a promotion make. No They're sense like, okay, that. like we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna band together because like WWE is gonna try to focus. So they're like, okay, well we'll you know 
but they're like, okay, we want to keep our heavyweight title for now. But the TV, it's like it seems kind of like a union. We're like, okay. Well, I also kind of understand because is Doctor Death Steve Williams on the same level as like Ron Garvin and no, Ric Flair? Hell no. So I mean, let's just say Ric Flair because he was the he wasn't the champion at the time because Ron Garvin had beaten him, which we'll get to more of that later, but. Ric Flair had been the champion for a long time. Yeah, he's, no, no way is Steve Williams on the same level as that. And so it's like, no, Steve Williams was fine, but he wasn't even the best person in that ring. I'm like, Steve Williams is like a European champion level. <laughs> yeah, maybe. yeah, you sell Steve Williams on his look more than his ring ability. Exactly. So there actually is a story. He's behind... like your, he's like your Brutus Beefcake. <laughs> so the story behind this match was that Taylor, along with Gilbert and Rick Steiner, would attack Koloff and steal his belt. Nikita vowed to get his belt back before Starcade, and at a broadcast leading up to the show, Taylor and Gilbert will once again jump Koloff, beating him unconscious, and then draped his TV title across his limp body. Like I like they steal the belt. It's like I guess you know pride, but like whatever, you can have it. I'm Nikita fucking Koloff. I still wear CCP, uh, like on my on my like gear, and I'm a baby. That and I'm rules. Still tough. Talks with a Russian accent. It rules that he like it rules that he is like of this like fake foreign baby, and it under it makes sense because he's fucking amazing. It's really funny that Ivan is like still a heel, <laughs> but they have the same last name. Yeah. I love the that whole dynamic. So the match starts off with Taylor starting to try to match power with power, but Nikita wasn't having any of it. Hell no. And then Nikita has Taylor in an armbar, and Terry tries to escape by going over the rope. But Koloff keeps hold and ends up just dragging Taylor back into the ring. What's the story of this match? I already said it. With the armbar? Oh, the armbar. <laughs> the story for the match. Yeah, yeah, of the match. Yeah. Uh, yes, an armbar would be the story of this match. Terry headbutts Nikita and then goes to slam him into the turnbuckle, but Koloff reverses and Terry goes headfirst into the pad. The two men start throwing rides when Nikita Irish whips Taylor, who comes back and gets a back body drop. Nikita is tired of Taylor wasting time outside the ring, so he ends up dragging him back in by the hair. Koloff with the Irish whip, sending Taylor into the turnbuckle. Nikita charges in, but Terry gets the knee up and goes for the pin, using the ropes as leverage, but Nikita is able to kick out. Koloff back with the arm holds, but Terry escapes with another headbutt. Koloff then puts on the Russian hammer, which is basically an iron claw chokehold, which means that he can't have it on for like longer than five seconds. Nikita is setting up for the Russian sickle, but Taylor ducks and Koloff bounces off the turnbuckle and in onto the floor. Taylor slams Nikita's head into the guardrail and then a shoulder into the ring post. So Taylor's starting to work over the arm and then Gilbert gets involved as he slams the arm against the apron as well. Taylor tries to suplex Nikita, but Koloff reverses it into a suplex of his own. I love that he was going to suplex Nikita. <laughs> yeah. Terry Taylor, Taylor, like, Terry Taylor's a, like, a fit guy, but he's kind of a string bean compared to Nikita Koloff. Everyone's pretty much a string bean compared <laughs> yeah. to me. We get a few more Taylor right hands, and then Koloff walks to a turnbuckle and slams his own head against it, and then turns with crazy eyes towards Terry. Do I have crazy eyes? No, not as crazy as one Nikita <laughs> did. Koloff's giving right hands to Taylor in the corner when the ref tries to stop him, allowing Terry to give an inverted atomic drop to Nikita. 
Taylor goes to the pin and puts his his foot on the ropes for leverage, but the ref sees it this time. Taylor and the ref are arguing while Nikita gets to his feet, and Koloff goes for the small package, just a two count. And Nikita's small package should win any match. <laughs> it didn't look good. No, no, it didn't. But just like him, his surprise pin should pin just about anybody. Taylor then goes for a pile driver, but Nikita reverses it into a back body drop. And Taylor escapes the ring after several hard right hands. Koloff chases after him outside the ring, but when he goes to get back in, Taylor hits him with a knee. Gilbert does something to the leg of Nikita. Once again. Something. No Something. camera angle was shown. Yeah, it's a little bit of it's a little wonky, but I. You get the idea of what's happening. Yeah, yeah. But it'd be nice to be shown it. I don't know. I kind of like the, a little bit of the growth. I think I like it better if they missed it than if they like cut away for like a a move that may may not have gone over as well like they do with WWE these days. You mean the seven cuts in three seconds? Yes, yes, that's what I mean. And Koloff is in pain. Taylor goes to put the figure four on. Gilbert comes over and is holding Taylor's arms for leverage. Koloff keeps getting his shoulders up for only two counts. The ref finally sees Gilbert and Taylor's mischievous ways and forces the hold to be broken. The ref and Taylor are arguing again, allowing Gilbert to attack Koloff. But Nikita grabs Hot Stuff and drags him up to the apron, where Taylor is trying to hit Koloff from behind and ends up hitting heads with Gilbert. Koloff with the Russian sickle for the pin... And the win. And no. Yeah. Oh, oh, I missed. I was going to say, uh, and only. Unified. And only, and unified. Uh, there is um, a thing in this match where uh, I think the announcers say, new ref, Harold Hebner. And they refer to him as, like, a new ref. Well, Hebner's been there for quite some time. But, yeah, I don't know. But I feel I, I, I if it wasn't weird, I probably wouldn't have taken a note on it. But, like, I feel like somebody called him a new ref. I thought that was weird. That is weird. Uh, also, there's this part where, like, Heb doesn't allow, like, isn't, like, allowing a rope break that's, like, obvious and noticeable. Also, does Terry Taylor, Terry Taylor do, like, a senton in this match as well? I don't think so. Really? I felt like he did. Maybe he did. And I just like, if you, it. like, yeah, if you run and throw your legs up and land with your back on them. It's a senton, right? Yeah, basically. Say senton, I feel like, yeah, because there was a, a, couple, a spot and another thing that I had in my notes that uh, you didn't do, and I was like, oh. The, the senton was, or like, modified some kind of senton-ish thing. I was like, oh, that was something you don't see too much at this time. No, definitely don't see many sentons this no. time. That's like the immediate, like, big man move. Your Samoa Joe, your uh, Cassius Sono. like yeah. yeah, he's a big guy and he's a good wrestler, but he also like just wants to eat. Like, <laughs> like that's the fucking move, and it's kind of shitty because it's like, oh, this is like the wor- the least harmful thing to you, and the most harmful thing to the person underneath you. So we're headed off to our fifth match. We got Arn Anderson and Tully Blanchard. Quick, what's your quick uh, feeling on that last match? Did you like that match? It was all right. I like that match. It's one of the better matches of the night. Man, I can't believe you're so down on this show. So Arn Anderson and Tully Blanchard with J.J. Dillon versus the Road Warriors with Paul Ellering for the NWA World Tag Team Championships. And the story behind this match was basically this was a continuation of the feud between the Horsemen and the Road Warriors that had started before War Games at the Great American Bash 87. And we have the champs coming out first. Bum, bum, bum. Foreshadowing. Arn goes to the top rope after giving a knee, but gets press slammed by Hawk. 
Tully comes and goes after Hawk, but Hawk is too powerful, so Tully rolls out of the ring, but then is press slammed back through the ropes by Animal. Tully starts walking back to the locker room saying, F it, I don't need this. Yeah, it's like, oh, I'm good. But Hawk runs after him and brings him back into the ring. Hawk gives a drop kick and we get a two count. Animal Irish whips Tully to the corner and charges in, but Blanchard gets his knee up. And then Tully goes to the top rope, comes off with a crossbody, but Animal catches him and slams him to the mat. We then get a Hawk bear hug on Arn, but Tully comes in and kicks the warrior for him to break the hold. And the horseman double team Hawk before he is able to double clothesline Tully and Arn. Hawk presses Tully and then tosses him into a bear hug by Animal. That's a cool spot. We get some more press slams by the Warriors until Hawk has Tully up when Arn drop kicks Hawk's leg. And then the horsemen start working over that leg. Tully hits Hawk's leg with a chair on the outside of the ring, and then Arn DDTs Hawk inside the ring for a two count. Tully goes to put the figure four on, but Hawk is, tries to grab a small package, but looks to be a botched spot. Yeah, it is. It was, yeah. You right. <laughs> they like rolled over and it's like, was that supposed to be a yeah, small package? Yeah. It's a awkward package. Yeah. <laughs> Arn then goes to put the figure four on, stops with his... He literally stops with his back to Hawk. Bad idea. And he, then he waits too long, and then Hawk just does the, the butt push. Almost like he's waiting on something. No, yeah, like he's you know, like they planted or something. Hawk kicks him off and into the turnbuckle. Yeah, that took go, me. Out, that took me out of the match. I'm gonna go. That's another botched spot. That's that that one. That one kind of took me out of the match because I was like pretty invested, and then I was like, ah. yeah, and it was like because ah. it was like it's just a couple of seconds. Because if they did, a, if he did it immediately, a split second, but yeah, you but, can tell the arm. Yeah, but it takes stops. It sucks something out of the match. Yeah, like yeah, which is a bummer because uh, everybody in this ring is a, is a wonderful fucking worker. Yeah, I mean, all, they're I all should, fucking I legends. Should, I should love this match. They're all legends. I, I like this, this match. match. I like this match. I only like it. Tully gets the figure four locked in at this time, but Hawk ends up making the hot tag. Animal drop kicks Arn, elbow to Tully to send him to the floor. Animal goes to run the ropes, but Tully grabs and trips him, and then Hawk starts chasing Tully on the outside. Tully runs into the ring and bumps into Tommy Young, the ref, ref bump. sending him flying out to the floor. Earl Hebner, I guess, is out there, and he's checking on Tommy Young, and then Animal backbody drops Arn over the top rope. It's cool. The Warriors then double clothesline Tully. It's also cool. And then Animal picks up Arn while Hawk goes to the top rope. Doomsday device. Uh, that's triple cool. Animal covers. Earl Hebner is there for the three count and, and the, the win. win. Hebner grabs the belts, hands them to the Road Warriors. All of a sudden, Tommy Young's back in the ring talking with Hebner and raises Arn's arm. The Horsemen win by disqualification. Why would they win by disqualification, Matt? Because of the over-the-top rope rule. And this is just like some NWA fuckery, right? It's the rule in the NWA. Yeah, but is it really the rule in the NWA? It's really the rule in the is there, NWA. Like, if we went back a couple of Starcades ago, does anybody go over the top rope and get DQ'd? Or does it just never happen? It does happen, but the ref is always distracted. Uh, quick question. What it happened on the very first Starcade. Yeah. During the that's probably Bob, why during the Bob Orton Dick Slater match is that one of those matches where we were confused like what is all this DQ shit because we just didn't know the rules 
I knew that I knew that it was a rule at that time uh, because they did it. I'm sure you told me. And but the refs was distracted, and Bobby Orton and Dick Slater were like, "Hey, he knocked uh, us over the top quick, rope." Quick question though: What about the Ric Flair like whipped into the corner uh, spot where he like you know pushes himself over? Since the, he was whipped into the corner, does it count as a DQ? Obviously not. Be- but 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 shouldn't it? Because like the offense was that. I mean, I guess you could say that he's like defending himself by putting his hands up. But he could just go back, and then he would still get attacked by the other guy. Technically, he's going over the top. Right? Yeah. What yes. is what is what does wrestling not it's, do for Ric Flair? What it is <laughs> is I'm just the being rules devil's advocate, and it's easy to do with something like this. When they want them or, to be applied. Earlier, you were telling me that this went all the way up to like, uh, like, like Russo NWO days. No, probably not Russo, but I don't know if it's Russo, but it's NWO. I believe it started before this rule. Yeah, yeah. It was one of those things where it's like, like there's like, okay, well, we don't like nobody. I think would... it's basically when Bischoff started doing having the cruiserweights because the cruiserweights freaking jumped over the top. All the time. All the time with suicide dives and stuff like that. But also back then, like, in WCW, they brought all these big guys in for big money, and they all got creative control on their thing. So if somebody didn't want to go over, they didn't go over, so it was all DQs all the time. Yeah. So it was like, okay, well, how are we going to DQ this? And I'm like, well, I guess we had this, like, you know, old NWA rule. So post-match, the Warriors still technically have the belts, and they walk back to the locker room with them. Which is cool. So then we go to the back, and we have Jack Gregory and Magnum TA previewing the last two matches. And we actually get the first actual mention of Legion of Doom. How many more times do we see Jack Gregory and Magnum TA in this show? I don't remember. Just like Missy Hyatt, uh, none. None? Is that all? This is the only yeah. time we see them. Okay. And then we go to Same Bob way. Cottle, who's with Nikita Koloff. And Nikita cuts a promo. I have no clue what he says. No, it's very bizarre. Because his, literally his growl is worse than Christian Bale as Batman. Yeah, um, yeah most definitely. It's the he, I think at one point he says, makes my heart feel good. But he talks about having two belts. And I was thinking about how funny it would be to have a Nikita, Cole, uh, Nikita Koloff shirt that says uh, Nikki two belts on it. Because that's pretty funny. <laughs> it's cute and it's funny. And it sounds even like... It's like, yeah, Nikki Two Belts is pretty cute. And it's like a Nikita Koloff shirt. Like, it's there's crazy. not enough, there's not enough Koloff that merch. Because I literally thought of that idea, ah, too. Fucking fist bump. <laughs> I was like, we need a, we need uh, a Nikki Two, two Belts. <laughs> God damn it. I'm glad. I, was, I thought that I was going to blow your I mind. was going to make that joke, and then I was like, <laughs> no. No, it's, it's a good joke. It's not that great. No, it's very good. I think it's good. We've been watching this stuff. We're, inf- we're, we're getting informed. And we're getting excited about, uh, you know, if we're getting excited about Nikita Koloff in 2019, somebody else is, too. Get excited somebody about else Nikita is. Yeah, yeah, there's no reason not to. But Nikki Two Belts. It's her next t-shirt in the, yeah, in the big like, cartoon yeah, shop. Yeah. I mean, probably, potentially the first one. No, no be, well, think about think it'd about. It'd be like our fourth one, actually, because we have, we have Keith Larson Fan Club. <laughs> oh, God, I don't even remember who Keith Larson is. Uh, we have the... Body, the bat, and the debutante. <laughs> we had one a couple weeks ago. We did. It was probably good. Oh, I don't remember what it was. I'll listen to it. And now, we have, and now we have Nikki Nikki two belts. Nikki two belts. Nikki uh, two belts. But like, yeah, it could be one of those things where it's got like the CCP and then like Email it's got two if, belts on. if any of these uh, shirt ideas <laughs> yeah, sound would, like something if, that you If you would buy want. two of them, then email us. Because <laughs> I think we need at least, I think we need to sell at least 
four of them. Yeah, I mean, I can get to... some shirts made, but yeah. Either way, Nikki Two Belts. I thought it was funny, and I'm really glad that because uh, we didn't talk about this in no, pre-pro at all. We don't. We don't. I we try go, not to we go sometimes. In kind of cold. Yeah, sometimes I mean, we'll, we'll talk, talk, but you know, I try to go in cold for moments like that. So then uh, Bob's still in the back. JJ Dillon joins him, and JJ Dillon says that Lex Luger is a perfect athlete and has Dusty backed into a corner. And then we're headed back out to Tony and Jr., who say some things. They say nothing. Jr. just looks like a little little uh, Theodore. Like I said. Some things, and then no Billy Theodore, and then we go to our sixth match, which is Lex Luger with J.J. Dillon versus Dusty Rhodes in a steel cage match for the N.W.A. United States Heavyweight Championship. And I wasn't ready for it to be like I feel like they didn't really push the cage match thing early on. So I was like, oh, we're in a cage match, okay. So if Dusty loses all night long, we've basically been told if Dusty loses. His career is over. No, it's, but it's only 90 days. He'll only be able to not wrestle for 90 days. So it's basically like if Dusty loses, he gets a vacation. Like a real good vacation. But I think I think it was Tony that was like, 90 days is a lifetime in wrestling. And I'm like, that's healing time in <laughs> wrestling. Yeah, that's what people should be taking off for to get healed. Yeah, they should work nine months out yeah. of the year. Yeah, and like Dusty's going to get hurt. Like he's going to cut himself open. But like what movie is he going to do that's going to hurt himself? He ate, he, yeah, he ate, yeah, he he ate a sandwich too fast. <laughs> That's a shitty fat joke. I'm a fat guy. I'm just saying, Dusty Rhodes is not the most physical uh, wrestler. No. Uh, Johnny Weaver, who we've seen as a wrestler and as a commentator during our run through these shows, he has the key to the door so that the horseman can't try to break in. Because remember, Luger is a part of the four horsemen at this yeah. time. The match starts, Dusty with a bunch of lefts, the Dusty roll, and then a, a bionic elbow and an atomic drop. Does Dusty look good in this match? Does he look better than he has recently? He looks determined. I feel like he almost I feel like he almost looks less big, like he dropped some weight, but maybe not. He's probably dropped a little bit of weight at this I point. I don't know. I feel like he, but the, I guess the determination is the thing. He looks more like focused and like you know ready to like put on a fucking show i think at one point they said this is the one belt that dusty hadn't won in the nwa oh uh, yeah because so i know he'd been television champion i know he'd been heavyweight champion so he's trying to go and I know uh, he'd been tag team champion. what is it called when you win like he got the grand he's trying to go he got i think there's like the like acting or television or movie awards yeah. we'll say he got Dusty tries multiple times to put Lex in the Weaver Lock, which is basically a sleeper. And they put over the Weaver Lock like a motherfucker. And, and as soon as they said Weaver Lock, I was like, okay, now it makes sense why Johnny Weaver's the guy with the, the Thing, key yeah. on the outside. Because Big ups. Never could find anything why he was there until the match started. Uh, the ref makes Dusty break the hold when Luger gets to the ropes. But isn't a cage match a D, no DQ match? Fuck you with your over-the-top bullshit. This is the NWA stuff that drives me nuts. If it's in a cage, it's in a cage. No excuses. No apologies. It's in a cage. Dusty then slows things down with a hammerlock <laughs> hold. And Dusty just keeps working on Luger's arm. Dusty's pounding away on Luger in the corner when the ref hits the five count, so he stops Rhodes from hitting again, which allows Lex to knee below the belt. Luger then throws Dusty into the cage multiple times, busting him open. A jumping elbow dropped by Lex for a two count, and then Lex starts pounding on Dusty's back. What are you trying to tell me that 
that Dusty Rhodes bled in this match? I know it's a surprise. That's crazy. Can we find the match where he doesn't bleed? Yeah, maybe if you go to WWE. He'll be there in a few <laughs> years. We then get a one-footed drop kick by Dusty. But the take... one-footed drop kick is piss poor. Exactly. <laughs> it's bad. Because it literally takes more out of Dusty than it does Lex. Yeah. Lex gets up I, I, Dusty I, I love Dusty. I know you love Dusty. But it looks bad. It looks horrible. Yeah. Lex then hits a backbreaker. It's like a child doing karate. Yeah. And he attempts to get Dusty up in the torture rack. But if we haven't mentioned before, Dusty is a rotund gentleman. He's a big boy. I wrote DR too damn fat to go in the T-rack. That's my note. That's a problem. And and, uh, Lex Luger would probably have a hard time putting me in a fucking T-rack too, so it's all good. Lex ends up stumbling backwards and Dusty falls between the ropes and the cage. Lex then comes back with the arm lock, but the crowd keeps trying to pump Dusty up. Yeah. Right as Rhodes is about to punch, Lex pulls the hair of Dusty to put him back on the mat. Rhodes starts no-selling Luger's punches and starts pounding away, knocking Luger to the mat. And then we get a really bad-looking DDT by Dusty. Is the DDT worse than the leg drop? The drop kick, I mean? It's... It's not a leg drop. It's a drop kick. The drop kick's so bad that it kind of looks like a leg drop, but Lex Luger just like I fell in think front of I it. I've literally come to the conclusion that if Dusty wasn't the Booker, he would not be on these shows. Mm, I mean, like he's important to wrestling. He has a great mind for it. Uh, his performances are good when it's what he's good at. He's a great promo. He's a likable person. He has he has it. But the it he does not have uh, is within ability. is inside of the squared circle. We're inside of the squared circle in, in a physical capacity because he is good in some spots. So there is an if he hits the right bionic elbow, it's a great, but it doesn't always hit right. Dusty then gets the Weaver lock on Luger, and on the outside we see J.J. Dillon hit Johnny Weaver with a chair. And take the key to unlock the cage. And it's awesome. So as JJ is walking over to unlock the cage, all of a sudden he stops, and then Dylan grabs a chair and throws it into the cage. Yeah, it doesn't want to... Because... Like, throws it, it has to throw it way up. Because somehow Luger has broken the weaver lock, and the ref is down as well. Once again... Another camera angle issue that we don't see what's going on. Like there's only like eight thousand people there. They only have two camera money. Like, Matt. Literally, I was like, "Why would you not go unlock the? Why door are you down. stopping to throw the chair in? Like, go unlock the door, and then the horseman can come out and help." Also, throughout this whole show, we're getting calls every five minutes. So there's a fifteen minute call when we get the bad DDT. <laughs> Just saying. Because I paid attention to the calling because it was a pretty big deal on the show. But then we get a good DDT as Dusty, D, like Luger is reaching down to pick up the chair. And he's literally standing there for the longest time. He is. He's, he's really Arn Anderson. Arn Anderson. And then up. Dusty finally gets up and DDTs him into the chair for the pin and, and the, the win. win. And, and new. So post-match... Rhodes gets out of the ring, and Hillman Weaver hug before heading to the back. Luger's literally still selling the DDT in the middle of the ring. It was which, on a chair. Which, That's a big deal. Which was a good... I, I like that. Good play. And then we get a replay. And I, 
I, I've stopped mentioning replays a long time ago because they were annoying as fuck. Well, we don't get a lot. And now we don't get a whole lot of them. It goes in and out, depending on what you're like. I watch a lot of New Japan, and I still don't get as many reruns. It's like uh, replays as I'd like, unless it's a really big show. Yeah. But I always, like, if I catch something, I go back. Well, we did it a minute ago, before we started this. So, on the replay, we actually see what happened with Luger. We actually do have a camera angle yeah. showing us what just, happened. It just wasn't... Luger was in the Weaver Lock, and he ends up just running straight into the turnbuckle. Oh, yeah. Where the ref was standing. Yes. And that breaks... Dusty off and knocks the ref down. He was it was a suicide mission. And so Kamikaze Luger made more sense. Oh, okay. JJ will send the chair in now. Yeah, yeah. It makes more sense uh-huh. if we just had this camera angle. It would have been it would have been fine. But I like the finish of this match quite a bit. I don't mind the ma- the the finish of the match. Yeah, there's some bad spots, but overall, I think it's pretty well telegraphed. But just like, why did JJ throw the like? I was just like, why is JJ throwing? Yeah. The chair in, like the thing just, is, is, like just open, open the door, and then handing the chair. We are complaining, but this is still so much more. Every single one of these matches is still so much. It's like better shot, better telegraphed, and in-ring storytelling than most of the NWA shows we've watched. Yeah, less confusion, easier for somebody to watch. I agree. So then we go to Tony and Jr. and they ask how to top something like that. And then they preview the last match of the evening. And we're off to our seventh match. We got Ric Flair with J.J. Dillon versus Ron Garvin. The man with hands of stone. In a steel cage match for the NWA World Heavyweight Championship. So there's a story behind this match. What is the story behind this match? (laughs) So it goes back to Great American Bash 1987, which was earlier in this this summer. Was it in the tape? It was in the tape. All right. Refresh my memory. In that show, we saw Flair beat Jimmy Garvin, who was Ron Garvin's brother, for a night with Precious. Oh, yeah. Ooh. (laughs) And I mentioned during that show, I was like, you remember this, because this comes into play later on. And this is when it does. So when Flair goes to meet up with Precious for his date... He's instead ambushed by Ron Garvin. Good on you, dog. In drag <gasps> as Miss Alana Lively. Is there a video of this? I'm sure there is. Oh my god. It's on probably one of the the shows. Oh my god. But it's not on the paper. We have to we have to find that because they did not they did not talk about this while I watched the show. No, they did not. They should have where's the video package? Where's the five minute video package before the match? So after that Basically, Garvin and Flair get put into an angle together, or into a program together. And in September... Yeah, because Rick tried to like play with his... Um, his not-vagina. I mean, <laughs> he just showed up for the date, and it was Miss Elena Lively instead of Precious. So I don't think anything happened. But in September, which is a couple months before this show, Garvin actually would defeat Flair... For the belt. During one of the Great American Bash matches? No. Or just like just a, a regular house show. Yeah, type. or like a, yeah, just a tour or whatever. Now, I'll explain more after the match. Okay. Because there's more to the story. So he beat him and that basically gives him this match because he Set, beat the, the sets title. Up, sets up it wasn't a title match. match. I got gotcha. you. Exactly. 
So the match begins. We get an early woo. We do, and it's really nice to hear the crowd respond because it's been a while. Like this is like a this the, the quality of this show production quality of this show is a lot higher than most of the NWA shows we've watched. The crowds look and sound better. The video and audio looks and sounds better. Maybe we got some some crowd woos before, but now we're getting like like real hefty. Ric Flair woos and real hefty woo responses. Woo! So the match starts. Darwin and Flair give him back and forth with the chops. Yeah. Flair takes ten punches in the corner, and then we get a Garvin stomp, which was Stone basically stomp. which was basically him stomping like twice on every appendage. Oh yeah. Okay, that stomp. Yeah. Uh, it was weird, and I kind of liked it. It was very weird. And but it's—I like, like, don't think it was any weirder than when people do like fucking finger manipulation spots because those always take me out. I like them in theory. You can't hear me, but I'm shaking my head. He's shaking his head. Right now. I fucking—I love a good technical boy. I don't love a fig. I love Marty. The finger snap. Pete Dunne, Marty Skrull. It's just when they when they, when so they push their hand down and then they don't move their hand and someone steps on it. Some people make it look better than others. But it's true. Some people do. I, I love Pete Dunne. I I love I I like Pete Dunne probably more than Marty. Honestly, I agree with that. But uh, Flair then low blows Garvin to gain a breather, and then Flair with the running knee drop and begins to work on Garvin's leg. We get a shin breaker into the figure four by Flair. Uh, why don't people do more shin breakers? They look amazing. Because Flair did them for so long that no one wanted to do the same. Yeah, but Flair. I feel like at this point uh, you could. Them off. Like, what if, like, it was Ishii and Abushi, and Ishii was doing chin breakers on fucking Abushi all night because he's fucking all about some kicks? That would be pretty good. I mean, at this point, I think someone else. Also, how about Ron Garvin versus uh, Tomohiro Ishii? Uh, Ishii would knock the crap out of him. I know, but I just want to see their chop exchange. Flair then starts grabbing the ropes for leverage while he has Garvin in the figure four. After what else the, would he do in a figure four? After the second try, you can, <laughs> you can see the ref realize that the ropes are moving, but he never catches Flair yeah. grabbing the ropes. Yeah. Garvin then turns the figure four over, and Flair releases the hold. Flair then tries to slam Garvin's head into the ring, but Garvin blocks it, or into the cage, but Garvin blocks it multiple times. Flair then Irish whips Garvin, but Ronnie reverses it and sends Flair into the cage. We get cheese grater time for Flair. I love cheese grater time. And then more face meets cage time for Flair, and he is busted open. You know my new, uh, like, I guess it's not that new, but my favorite acronym for an NWA show is? Is uh, C-A-W, which means cage's weapon, which is like my cage's weapon spot, like, note. Well, I literally just thought of a... Ah. A new another another T-shirt. It's a picture of Flair, but with like the cage, cage in front of it, right in front of it, uh, and it says "face meets cage." Face meets cage. That's good. Or so maybe it technically doesn't yeah. even have to be Flair's face, yeah. but it just like when or, you think when or, you think of Dusty or yeah. Flair as as having their face yeah. thrown into a cage in the cheese grater. That's what I think of. It's like cage's weapon, and it's somebody holding like a whole cage, which would be really hard to draw, but like using it like a chair. Flair then tries to climb over the cage, as he always does, but Garvin catches up with him, slams Rick's head into the top of the cage a couple of times. And it looks... These guys are getting pretty good at making leaving a cage look pretty good. 
A little bit later, Flair goes to the top rope again, but this time is press slammed by Garvin, and Garvin locks on a version of the figure four in the middle of the ring. It's not the same figure four as what Flair does. He, like, hooks over the leg instead of around Yeah, the leg. yeah. It's kind of confusing to describe, but it, it's different. Flair then reaches the ropes. The ref forces Garvin to break the hold. But once again, we're in a still cage... And there's no DQ. So why are we breaking? Makes no sense. I hate it. I hate it. I don't. I have no issue with a cage match. I have an issue with a cage match with really kind of a ref at all. This is why climbing over the cage to get out makes a lot of sense for a cage match in the WWF. But, you know, whatever. Flair tries again to slam Garvin's head into the cage, but Ronnie counters and slams Rick's head once more. Garvin goes to the top rope, hits a diving crossbody, but only a two count. Garvin then goes for a backslide pin. Two count. We get some really loud chops from Garvin. Have we, ju- is he, have we juiced yet? Have we had a spot? I mean, Flair's broke, busted open. Okay, okay. From all the cheese grater Well, time. yeah, well, the, he hits the, like, the fly into cage, cage's weapon, like, slingshot twice, and then the king. I'm just like, ah. It's always hard to tell because there's sometimes where Flair bleeds immediately, and then there's sometimes where Flair like bleeds like within the last five minutes, and you never know. Well, at this point, Flair has been thrown. His head has hit the cage multiple, multiple times. Yeah, Ronnie enough Garvin, time, like enough times to equal him being pinned three times. Ronnie so, like Garvin nine times has not hit in the cage with his head. Yet. Of course, he hasn't. So Flair's back to trying to escape over the top. After a couple slams to the top of the cage, Garvin headbutts Flair, which causes him to fall onto the top rope, crotching himself. We then get Garvin going for the sunset flip off the top rope, which is how he won the belt in September. But Flair falls on top of him and grabs the ropes for leverage, but the ref sees it. Garvin then completes the sunset flip, but only a two count. Flair then carries Garvin across the ring and tosses him into a turnbuckle, but Garvin comes out with a big right hand, knocking Flair down. Another two count. Irish whip, but Flair reverses it. Garvin leaps forward. Rick grabs Garvin, stumbles backwards, where Garvin hits his head on the cage for the first time, falls to the mat, Flair with the pin... And the win. And new! Sick fucking... Sick into that match. It's so good. Is it? I think it's awesome. He hit his head once. He hit his head once, but he's not Ric Flair. And that's the difference. That's the difference. So Tony and JR say their goodbyes, and we get a video package from the evening. Matt doesn't like this show. I like this show. So Michael Temple... What were your overall thoughts of this show? I think this show was easy to follow, well-wrestled, less bullshit than most NWA shows, and I appreciated it a lot, and I really loved that last match a bunch. And Matt does not feel the same way. So at first thought, like looking at the matches, you have all the horsemen in title matches. Seems like a good thing, because the four horsemen... Are some of the best wrestlers in at the, the time, world yeah, at, yeah. at the time. Unfortunately, I just didn't feel like they meshed. Well, Arn and Tully with the Road Warriors that meshed. There was just some botched spots that took me out of the match. Yeah, yeah. You you don't think that Garvin and Flair meshed? Luger and Dusty 
I didn't feel like they meshed. They did definitely did not mesh. And I don't feel like Garvin and Flair meshed. Really? I love the Garvin-Flair match. This might be one of my favorite Flair matches. Garvin, Garvin did the same four spots. It doesn't matter. He did them well. It w- I liked them. Like, literally, it was... All, his only Maybe move, his was, only move was no. it was a punch. Maybe he was just being like he was being carried, but I fucking I liked that match. I, I liked it. So basically, I'm giving the the show a thumbs down. Is this a, is this your least favorite star? Like, what's your is this better? Is this I thought this was agree, like my favorite star. I agree. Starcade. I agree that Starcades are getting better in their storytelling and, and their production and their production. But this is you don't think this is the best. I don't know if this is the best one, but I feel like this is the most accessible Starcade. It's not a juice party. It's as not a gimmick a, party. As a it's... wrestling fan, yeah. And if another wrestling fan was like, "Hey, should I watch this?" I'd be like, "It's not a bad show to watch." Oh, I disagree. I would be like, if you're a wrestling fan and you want to watch like Star, if you want to watch some old like NWA stuff, I'd be like, "Watch '87." It's a really fun what, that's, intro. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. I'm saying, if it was someone that was like, "Hey, should I watch this?" Show? I'd be like, "Yes." It's yeah. not. It's not a bad show to watch. I would. I, just, I would probably. I just say, did not love it. I would probably say, "Fuck yes, you should watch this show." I mean, I think I just liked. I think I liked the last arcade, but and I mean, the thing is, the last arcade had a lot of funky finishes. Yeah, but they made sense. I, I was. I was very in the middle on the last show too. Yeah, because like, I feel like this is where the, the, the stuff that was really good was really good. But then there was stuff that was really bad, and it was really bad. I feel like I'm hot on this show mostly because the like good stuff is like pretty damn good, and the bad stuff is really not that bad. So I feel like that overall, like if if you had to like you know if it was like the weights of like justice, I feel like that it would be like you know even and maybe a little bit up on the like you know positive side. Which is pretty rare, and it's not a juice party, and, then, and it's not a gimmick party, it's not a sombrero on a pole. I, don't, I like. I it. don't really know how to explain it. I'm like, I didn't love the show overall. Yeah, but I do feel like we're, it we're, was, feel like we're it was one of the best starcades. Yeah, like I think I know I gave other starcades a thumbs up or a thumbs in the middle or something. And yeah, this one a thumbs down. Yeah. You but, just weren't entertained as much as I was. But I just wasn't as entertained. Yeah, see, I fucking... I really like the show. I love that last match. I loved it. I liked it a lot. A whole bunch. I could tell. Yeah. I was I just like, yeah. But we were talking a little bit, because we try not to, like, sell each other out before we start recording, but we talk a little bit and, like, kind of tease around it, and I could tell that you were, like, down on it, and I was like, you son of a bitch. Oh, so, I f- what I was going to go to after the match... Mm-hmm. The reason this whole, like, Flair lost the belt and then got it back was because Jim Crockett realized that Survivor Series was going to be on the same night yeah. as, as uh, Starcade. Yeah, so it's like, we so, need Flair to win, be working from underneath. Exactly. They Which need, is what he does best. Basically, it was like, we need the culmination of the, the star of our, pro, of our promotion to win the belt and that yeah. will help us get and eyes, that's eyes one of those on things product. like well it's easier to take the belt off of Flair and then put it back on him than it is to do that with Dusty who's not going to perform as well and is not as big of a deal. And the thing is they actually were going to they they thought of multiple different people but no one really wanted to just be a placeholder for a couple months 
and Ron Garvin was all like, I'll do it. I'm 42 years old. I'm, I'm never going dude. to win the world heavyweight title. Sure. Yeah. I can put that on my resume. And That's great. I think that Ron Garvin's performance is awesome in this match. I didn't care for it. I, I enjoy it. Good. Where, where's the smart marks at? All right. Fuck you. I think it's time that we smart it up. What was your best moments of the evening? Oh, man. I don't know. You start. I don't even know anymore. Sting. Well, Sting's Sting. for Sting. Yeah. Sting. Yeah, that's true. That's easy. And also, it should have been what I said. But no, Sting came out hot. It was great. Michael Hayes was uh, really entertaining. Uh, Larry Zabisco's uh, Pizza Face. I like this whole show. I feel like this whole show is worth your time. Even the Skywalker match. Like, like, like I said, even the sc- like I said, if someone were to come to me and be like, "Hey, should I watch it?" I'd be like, "Yeah, sure, watch it." I'm high on. I the don't show. love it. I'm high on the show. The uh, like even like the Skywalker match is fun because of all the cornet fuckery. My favorite match of the night is the first match. Really? And it's a time limit draw, and I yeah. hate time limit draws. I, that time limit draw is so good, though. I think that time limit draw got me excited because I was like, "Oh, it's done so well." And like it, I can it was, just, it was I can, done. Really I well. think the thing with this show is I can see the NWA getting smart enough to understand how they need to present themselves on television, where they can't just like go to the south and th- throw a bunch of hillbillies in a room and expect good results, and they're like kind of changing with the time. The unfortunate part is that it's not going to last very long. But I think that then, based on this, I am so fucking excited for the next couple NWA shows because early Starcades to say. Because this was just like, it was lean, it was mean, it was easy to understand, and the performances were were good. I was into all of these matches. Other best moments, I, I really like Terry Taylor. Um, uh, yeah. Performance in the unification match. Are you gonna, can you do your best rooster? Cock-a-doodle-doo. <laughs> he's not the rooster at this point. No, I know. But that's what he's kind of most like famous for, unfortunately. Yeah, unfortunately. Any disappointing moments? Um, Arn Anderson turning around and sitting there for two seconds. Well, yeah, that was disappointing. But like overall, like things that things that were like, ah, oh, fuck this. I never. Ron had... Garvin only having four moves. Fuck you. I like Ronnie. Dusty, I like, I... Dusty Rhodes trying to do DDTs and drop kicks. It's Dusty Rhodes though. Don't do the moves if you can't do them. Well, then what's he supposed to do? Just cut himself in the corner? That's all he does. <laughs> it's true. That's what he does good. Yeah, but his promos are great. I don't know. It's it's a different time in wrestling. We have context. So I try to watch these outside of that and just like as a pure enjoyment thing. Where it's like I don't compare this to like I've been watching Best of the Super Juniors all fucking month. I'm wrestled out. So tired of wrestling. It was really nice for me to watch a different style of wrestling and not watch the style of wrestling that I had been watching. I'm not throwing shade because that's my preferred yeah. like that's my preferred promotion. But it was nice to go back and see something that's like kind of so like infantile. Like it's like not because it's stupid or for babies, but because it's just like it's a big part of this. This it's like it's kind of like we don't the get seed, to what the, the what best of super juniors yeah, is. Yeah, we that, don't have yeah, yeah. Like the seed, the seed is sprouting, so it's like okay. And I can see like I saw NWA when it was like they just threw the the seed in the dirt, and I was like, all right, like. Like is yeah is is it breaching the ground? I don't know. And now I'm like, okay, well you're learning, you're learning, and you're putting on a better show. And 
it's more intelligent. You're getting better at like shooting it for television, and it's exciting and it was fun, and I really enjoyed it. it. I'm probably, I mean, we're always informed by the things that we're closest to when we take in new stuff. So like, I've been watching, keeping up with Super Juniors completely. So it was nice to see something a little different, to get a throwback, and I think that it was the best like telegraphed, explained, and best like shot like Starcade so far it's a good opinion I like it but you disagree I mean it's fine yeah if we always agreed it would be no fun exactly how about best performer of the night I mean we know it's Sting so well yeah second best performer of the night. Sting killed it I think Ric Flair really fucking Flair, really Flair carried that match he did he did and I like there's been times like we've watched Flair matches like ah, it's okay but I feel like this is where Flair really came into Flair, and he didn't do the corner turnbuckle spot either. Because he can't with it being in a steel he, cage. He technically can. I mean, he can. But it wouldn't be cool. No. Um, most surprising moments? Uh, there wasn't very much blood and not very many gimmicks. I mean, the gimmick thing, yes. It's I like mean, we had a cage. steel cage match, just the Skywalker match. Which... But, like, we didn't have a fucking bandana on a pole. We didn't have a fucking, like, noose on a fucking nurse or whatever, like... There was no, and there wasn't a lot of juice in man. Uh, most surprising for me is that a time limit draw was my favorite match of this evening. It was it was a great time limit draw. And the thing is, like time limit draws don't happen that often now, and when they do, it's kind of exciting because they're bad motherfuckers that do in it. In the last three years, can you name more than one match that was a time limit draw? No, I've seen ones that get close, and it's exciting because they're tournaments. The only match that I can think of that's been a time limit draw in the last three years. Okada and Kenny? Okada and Omega. Yeah. Because... Yeah, because that was fucking genius. Well, I guess I guess some Young Lion matches went to the time limit draws, but they had, well, there's like, only like, they one. had like 10 minute time limits. Yeah, so. but that was like uh, like Narita and Umino, and like yeah. they're, the, they're the Young Lions that have like... Made sense. Yeah. Also, like a lot of people don't even watch those matches. They're definitely not. Now for a look back even farther into the history of wrestling. The Dusty Finish. James Tootsmont was a creative visionary. He wasn't made significant by helping decide who won Ed Lewis's matches. It was that he understood the most important thing was how a match was won and what the manner of their victory said about the competitors. Toots would create the idea of the finish. By dictating the way matches ended, the Gold Dust Trio could optimize the drama and this practice forms the backbone of contemporary wrestling. The less legitimacy, the more the drama was enhanced, making the audience believe a challenger had a chance versus Lewis. But to do that, the challenger had to present a risk to the champion. Next week, Bunkhouse Stampede, nineteen eighty-eight. There's been previous Bunkhouse Stampedes, right? Yes, but this is the only uh, bunk with the gunk. It's the only one that is filmed, <laughs> potentially, possibly. Yeah. yeah, I think there's like snips. Like, can you clips explain what a Bunkhouse Stampede is? To me? I mean, these well, promos are very the funny. The original, the original Bunkhouse Stampede was basically a hardcore. Battle Royal, where to win... With or without a cage? Without a cage. The the, the rules for each one kind of change. Oh, so this is like a dusty thing. Yes, (laughs) it is a dusty thing. 
Because, like, I think the very first one, because we, like, saw promos for, like... Yeah, it was really funny. It's like... it's like six, I think. Well, it's really funny because it's, like, a, it's like somebody, like, around a campfire, and it's like, when you're running horses, and there's all these horny old men in this, like, place where there's a bunch of bunk beds, there's the nothing to fuck, was. so we just start fighting. <laughs> That's basically what a bunkhouse stampede is. But... I mean, they don't say that. Now they've gone to, like... So, basically, after this show... The month of December, they had a bunch of qualifying matches, yeah, qualifying yeah. bunkhouse stampedes. Yeah, well, that whoever won the most or won. You matches, you get like qualified for the finals. No one really knows exactly. They basically picked the people that they wanted to be in the yeah, match. No, no. They and they competed in the bunkhouse stampede finals, which will be the pay per view that we'll. What do you win? Cover next week. We'll cover. That's, uh, um, don't tell well, me. Each don't don't say don't say what you win. The qualifying the match. There was a money. Yeah. You know what I love about the NWA? The NWA is always like, you know, if you win, we'll give you some money. We'll give you $50,000. We'll, we'll, yeah, we'll give you some like money. One yeah. that was like one that was 25000 It's like all these stupid hillbillies care about is money. It's like, they'll beat up their brother for money. Exactly. <laughs> it's really bizarre. So the music from this show, we get a new Starcade theme, Starcade 87. What does it sound like? I'm just making this up as I go. You heard it at the beginning of the show. And then, of course, Ric Flair won. Um, so we get a little Spot Zarathustra. You love saying that. I do. That's I know fun. you do. And that's by Strauss. Uh, you can Le- uh, Levi Strauss? <laughs> no. Like the classic composer. I know, I know. I'm just fucking around. We've talked about this song enough yes. times. We've covered enough Star Kids. So you can rate and review us on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or wherever you find your podcasts. Uh, give us those five-star ratings as it gets us up in the analytics. More people can find us, and we can create more of these shows on a more regular basis. Even though we're coming out weekly, but maybe we could do them even more often if we tried. <laughs> I think we try pretty hard. We try pretty hard. Uh, if you want to email us, you can email us at wrestlinghistoryx at gmail.com, or you can find us on Twitter at wrestlinghistox. That's wrestling, H-I-S-T-O-X. And usually, it just, I let the theme song play out. No, you gotta play that promo. But this week, after the theme song ends, I'm putting the Jimmy Garvin promo. It's so good. It's so good. When I die, play the Jimmy Garvin promo instead of like a song. (laughs) Our obituaries, Jimmy Garvin (laughs) promo. My mom's like not crying because she's confused. She's like, oh. <laughs> why are we talking about Dusty almost losing his? Yeah, career? my dad doesn't. My mom and dad have no idea. Who but thanks for joining us, and we'll see you next week. Jim, what an event, what a day it has already been. But I know you're disappointed that you didn't win the match. Well, I'm not that disappointed now, Bob, because I didn't lose the match either. You know, we didn't win, we didn't lose, but it was a good contest. Michael Hayes, myself and I, and Sting, we feel confident that we had a good, exciting match. And the fact is this, I'm just really excited on behalf of my Squeeze Precious and Michael Hayes, Bob. I'd like to tell all the fans that I'm just glad to be a part of Starcade 87. It's the most exciting event in all wrestling history. I mean, 
mean, the fact is, I get excited because I think about all the careers that are on the line tonight. I mean, we're just this far through it. There's a lot more action to come. And when I think about the guys like Dusty Rhodes right now that must be just a little bit nervous because just in a few minutes, he's going to put his career on, a li on the line. Then you got the Road Warriors against uh, Arn Anderson and Tully Blanchard. And as far as I'm concerned about that, Bob, Michael Hayes and I are really concerned about that match because we want to challenge the winners of that match. It don't matter if it's the Road Warriors or if it's Arn Anderson and Tully Blanchard. Everybody knows it's no secret. Squeeze and I and Michael, we've been talking about it. We want the world tag team titles. They're on our mind and we're going to get them. <laughs> my brother Ronnie, I get goosebumps up and down my back when I think about him. I love him to death and I know if anything, this is his day. Starcade 87 means a lot to everybody. Don't get me wrong, Bob. It means a lot to a lot of young careers. It means a lot to people that's been in this sport for many years. Myself, I'm just a proud with Michael and Squeeze to be a part of the National Wrestling Alliance and Jim Crockett and to be on the winning team in professional wrestling in the wide world today. And there's no doubt in anybody's mind that the National Wrestling Alliance has the greatest wrestlers in the world. And my brother Ronnie Garvin is at the top of the pile. He is the world heavyweight champion. I, I like to predict too, Michael. I do want to predict that it's not my fault, ladies and gentlemen, when my brother Ronnie keeps the world heavyweight title and defeats Ric Flair because nobody knows more than I do. And I've sat down and talked with my brother Ronnie for several hours about this. It means a lot to him because he did have a great match, there's no doubt, when he defeated Ric Flair in Detroit. Absolutely. But the talk is this, that match was nothing compared to the match that's going to happen later on. I'm telling you one thing, it's really going to be exciting. I'm going to be right here. In fact, I'd be on the front row if I could, but there's no seats left out there. In fact, ladies, there's no seats left anywhere, and it's going to be fantastic. I do predict my brother to win and keep his world heavyweight title. I do predict my buddy, that rascal Dusty Rhodes, the American Dream's not going to let the world down. He's not going to have to go into retirement. And uh, the Road Warriors aren't Anderson thing. You know how I feel about that. And of course, Nikita Koloff and Terry Taylor. You can't forget about a match like that. There's two individuals fighting for the National Wrestling Alliance against the UWF. And of course, <laughs> there's no question in anybody's mind, the greatest organization in the whole wide world. And we're very proud to be a part of it. It's a National Wrestling Alliance. I know you're going to tell me my time's run out, but I'm going to tell you I'm finished talking and we got to go. So we'll see you later. Have a good evening. And good luck to you.